from the Institute of Higher Thinking. This is Literally. It's a podcast. Welcome to Literally, the podcast about, well, anything. So far, Literally has been about the intersection of great writing and guilty pleasure. We spent our first 19 episodes exploring books we thought defied the constraints of genre to tell lasting stories. We occasionally dipped our toes into movies and television. And then, in November of 2016, we abruptly stopped podcasting at all. It started out with a disturbing political setback, but we got over it. And then life started happening. We got over those events, too. We missed you, our five faithful listeners. Honestly, our little hiatus sort of spun out of control. But now... We're back. I'm your host, Scott Garner, and with what can only be called a holiday miracle, I'm going to guide you through 12 solid days of books and nerd talk with my podcast partner, Crystal De Laurentiis. This is, wait for it, The 12 Days of Crystal. Twelve straight days of new mini-podcasts. Probably won't make up for a whole year of full shows we've missed, but it's a start. Each day, Crystal will reach into her bag of prizes and surprises to pull forth a new book to discuss. Think of it as an audio shopping guide for the bibliophile on your holiday list. So take a break from the shopping and the baking and the self-medicating through booze. We've got books to discuss. We begin our triumphant return by going back to the summer of 16, simpler times, when we had a summer reading club but failed to talk about the final book of that ill-fated endeavor until long after summer had passed. When we finally recorded our discussion of Margaret Atwood's Oryx and Crake, we had no idea it wouldn't be heard by, you know, anyone until over a year later. But here it is, presented as an intro to the first day of Crystal. What you're going to have here is me guiding Crystal through a conversation about Oryx and Crake. It was the last book in our summer reading book club. So first off, let's let's just dive into it and and describe briefly the book, which is a very complex science fiction work. Uh, Margaret Atwood, the author of Oryx and Crake, does not write uh, simple one bite digestible stories she she gives you she gives you a lot of a lot of meat and potatoes yeah and i think she kind of doesn't like to think of what she does as science fiction i think specifically this book she didn't think of it that way um and it's not it's not heavy it's not heavy science fiction to me like it it really is more um kind of an examination of uh of of these people that were involved in what essentially ended the human race right <laughs> like that's that's really it we went full apocalypse with this book club man yeah we did go <laughs> we did we did spend a lot of time dealing with dealing with the end of the human race yes we did <laughs> um you know I, I think 
A lot of people actually prefer science fiction to be called speculative fiction anyway. Yeah, I think that's how she wanted it to be and seen. And I think when you look at when you look at this one, it's speculative fiction. So let's let's talk a little bit about um, how much we can say about the end of the world without spoiling things too badly. Um, well, I mean, it starts off there. So, um, basically there is a race of people that has survived this cataclysmic thing that wiped out everybody else. And there's one, one person of the original humans who's still left that's sort of their caretaker in a sense. Um, and, and he's also, I think, trying to figure out his, his purpose in the world, too, now that it isn't the world he, he, like, grew up in that he, you know, became an adult in. Yeah, and through that, that's how we get a lot of the backstory yeah. for everything, is, is kind of his recollections. Yeah, so most, most of it is just um, flashbacks of um, our main character, Snowman. Right. Um, to his life before everything changed. When you were reading the book, um, and, and this is true of a lot of this kind of science fiction, which I, I think that there's a lot of this out there. Um, I tend to think that, that a lot of the stuff that we read now is, is a little more flashy, a little more uh, grounded in kind of like the television movie reality of you know, doing things in three acts and, mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. This book seemed to be very much more about the examination of what kind of people it would take to end the world and what kind of situation. What was your take on, on how she decided to unfold that? Um, I liked it. And, you know, and I, I obviously I'm a fan of her work anyway um, from the stuff that I have read. And, and there is some similarity in the way she structures that with um, The Handmaid's Tale um, in the ter- in terms of like you kind of get little glimpses of things that happen before the the current events of the story, um, and she tends to I, I you know I guess it's more of like an emotional examination and and a little bit of a psychological, but you don't always get. Um, it's from one person's perspective, so you don't always get the full picture of the other people that are are kind of involved it's just that one person's take on them right and when and and these people tell us a little bit more about these these people with the air quotes around them um that would be oryx and crake who are the the uh the named characters in the title um they're both involved in basically what ends up coming to pass but i don't know if i should go more into that right now yeah okay so we'll skip on that uh you're right we have read a lot of post-apocalyptic and apocalyptic fiction um and i think we joked about it a couple of months ago that 2016 between <laughs> the you know, just the oddity that is 2016 and the political no, climate that made me and think of else. david bowie <laughs> david bowie and prince <laughs> but that 2016 is kind of like the perfect year to read a lot of post-apocalyptic fiction <laughs> it's like everything sucks let's just turn into the skit <laughs> <laughs> Look, these people lived happily ever after, kind of, maybe. <laughs> Somebody lived. <laughs> Sometimes that's all you get. <laughs> if nothing else, the Hunger Games will be terribly entertaining. <laughs> Look at all the sales. Um, you know, what's the appeal? 
What's the appeal of Oryx and Crake specifically to you? Um, that's a good question because I'm not really sure how to answer that. Um, I guess I liked, I liked how she put the story together. I really did like how it kind of flowed along and I never felt like she wasn't moving fast enough to keep me interested while also like taking her time giving you information as the reader. So, and it, the character, the characters were developed in a way where I kind of got them. Like, I think she did a really nice job with that. Yeah. So, so I got about 50 pages, 60 pages into this before the, the drugs kept me from being able to, to read <laughs> the drugs, air be, quotes. Yeah. Where I'd be falling asleep <laughs> or, or getting vertigo. One of the things I thought was neat, and you can tell me whether this continued throughout the book, was that the world building and the character building just seemed to go hand in hand. Yeah. Like she was, it wasn't like she was taking a lot of time to do one without the other. Yeah. That kept on because, um, not knowing where exactly you stop, but Snow Snowman kind of continues to take a journey through the end of the book, so you get more world built for you as right. you go. Um, so, and, and it always had something to do with like past experiences, and so it kind of it was all kind of built in together. Oh, yeah. Cool. Um, so when you're talking about writing this book, uh, guilty pleasure and great writing. I mean, Margaret Atwood is is one of the She's up there, man. One of the great science fiction writers in the world. And I know she's one she, of the great she writers. Yeah. I, don't, I don't even want to like stick her in a genre. Yeah. She's just a great writer. Well, I think Handmaid's Tale has pretty much uh, solidified itself as as a book that, that you don't find in the science fiction section at Barnes & Noble. <laughs> you find it with the fiction and literature, along with the rest of her stuff. I think uh, when... Well, she's, she's recently put out a graphic novel now, too. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, she had a uh, Catbird Man. Yeah, I think that was something it. like that. I've uh, seen I've seen the art. It's interesting. <laughs> yeah, and it's uh, she's also to to be um, an an older lady. I mean, she's in her late eighties now, right? Mid um, mid to late eighties. We can ask Jessica. <laughs> she, she got to hear her speak. <laughs> yeah, my wife got to hear her speak at the American Library Association conference. But she's she's on up there, and she's active on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, she spends a lot of time. She, She's just very mentally agile person, obviously. Yeah, she's really heavily into, um, like, naturalism, too. Right. Um, like, nature. Not, like, nudity. Um, that we know <laughs> like of. Like, not that I know of. If she is, God bless her, more power like, to her. That wasn't on Wikipedia. <laughs> um, <laughs> I do remember hearing that she, she ended up doing, um, there was some project where they were getting people to write stuff that wouldn't be published for 100 years. Like, no one would see it until then. And so she apparently wrote something that, Will oh, not be published cool. until a hundred years from that that year, which was a few years ago. Oh, wow. So none of us will get to see it. Yeah, well, that won't be uh, except on... for me because I will become an AI and live forever. Uh, that's that's right. my plan. That's right. So <laughs> just just stick with us. Uh, the literally feed will move to whatever platform supports <laughs> our AI existences, and uh, probably from... Linux. Yeah, <laughs> probably only available on a Samsung <laughs> with a bad battery. Anyway. Um, definitely not an apple <laughs> so so let's talk let's talk about your ratings uh for let's start with great writing um i feel like i should give it a five because i i honestly can't think of anything to detract yeah from that like i felt like it was a it was a good it's very well written yeah. and it's the first in a series 
And I will get around to the second one at some point. Yeah, and I, I knew that it was the first in the series, but somebody told me, and you can back up whether this is a lie or not, that if you stopped at the end of Oryx and Crake... It's totally fine. You wouldn't be... Yeah. Yeah, disappointed. No, I mean, it kind of ends... Ambiguously? Uh, maybe. Yeah, a little bit. But I mean, it's not where I got to the end and was like, oh man, I really got to read the next book. I mean, it, was, it, it wasn't like a cliffhanger. Yeah. It was definitely like the story itself was revol- resolved. And I think from what I've been told by a friend that's read the second one, it has different characters. So mm-hmm. I don't know if it actually builds off of the first book anyway, in terms okay. of like continuing snowman story. Right. And guilty pleasure. You did say that it that it moved along to your yeah, expectation. But it wasn't. But it's also about the end of the world. It again. wasn't a really happy book. Um, I don't know if I would read it again. So want to i want to say three but i also kind of want to say four okay i'm sorry i'm gonna go with three uh, i think that's good i always when i'm thinking about a post-apocalyptic fiction i thought about this the other day in thinking of what kind of questions i wanted to ask you and mm-hmm. points i wanted to make um in evaluating the guilty pleasure of post-apocalyptic fiction i think the 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 five of guilty pleasure <laughs> i can't even know genre, what that is uh, okay oh you got one it's fury road mad the mad max movies those are those are fives for guilty pleasure. But see, I don't see. I guess I didn't really look at that as like a guilty pleasure. It was just really good. Was, <laughs> like, I, I looked know. at it as a guilty pleasure because it was it was cars and people shooting at each other. But I and... also haven't watched it since that first time because I feel like I got a little mild PST, PTSD <laughs> from watching it in the movie theater. I was like, oh my god, this is amazing. Well, I'm even going back to I'm even going back to Road Warrior and Thunderdome. You know, mm. those those were into the war. And, and you have to remember when when Thunderdome came out and Road Warrior and the original and the original Mad Max, that was when, you know, it was the it was the early and mid eighties when people really were afraid that the US and the <laughs> well, Soviets were gonna turn the world into a into Mad Max. Well, you know, that fear never goes away, it just changes hats. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> it just it, it just it just has a different it just has a different face on it. Putin yes. <laughs> <clears throat> Excuse me. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Sorry, I was, I was clearing my throat. Something was in there. Yeah. So, 12 months later. <laughs> More or less. A year or so. A lot. After a Oryx lot and Crake. It's amazing how much closer we are to the future of Oryx and Crake than we were 12 months ago. Ever, oh. ever closer. <laughs> Yet yeah, you have decided to continue down... That particular rabbit hole. Well, I need to know what's going to happen. Yeah. Well, so, so I can prepare properly. <laughs> right. Know what to pick up at Target. <laughs> yeah. It's like, okay, I need to start growing these foods now. Okay. Yeah, exactly. So honestly, though, it, Margaret Atwood in the in the ensuing 12 months has really taken off uh, the Hulu adaptation of Handmaid's Tale. There was a lot of... There's Which I lo- still haven't watched, by the way. I haven't watched it either. Uh-uh. <laughs> I, I don't need that stress in my life right no, now. No, <laughs> my wife watched it and said that it was a downer. Well, the, it the was book, great. The book is not that much of a, yeah. you know. Well, she said it was really happy, w- fun time, rainbows and puppies t- type of story. But yeah, like, uh, no, <laughs> no. Um, but at and the I same say time, that as someone where I'm like, that's one of my favorite books. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and I'm just still like, I don't want to watch the show. Mm-mm. But, Not right now. You know, she was also there was there was a lot of talk that she was going to get the the um, Nobel this year, mm-hmm. um, which ended up going to Kazuo Isagara, who we did. Uh, yeah, not not a bad choice. Not a bad choice. 
probably not as good as Mar- Margaret Atwood. I don't. Well, I don't it, think but. it depends on on I guess how you what you're judging on. They're both good writers. Yeah, and the Nobel does, you know, unexplainable things. You know, they're they're judging a it's, much it's awards, wider it's awards shows. You know, that's the way it is. Yeah. <laughs> so you decided though to follow to go ahead and continue following the story that was started in Oryx and Crake. So, yes. So tell us, where, where do we go? Where do we go from there? Well, the second book in the series is The Year of the Flood. And the, we will meet Toby and Wren, who are two women who, um, and this is similar to, to um, Oryx and Crake, where you're getting parts of the story sort of present time after the apocalypse, and then you get the flashbacks to their lives before. But the apocalypse is really referred to as the waterless flood. Um, in the year of the flood, because both Toby and Ren were parts of a group called God's Gardeners, which was a religious sect um, that believed that there was going to be some great flood that would annihilate humanity. And they were all about, you know, being vegetarians and taking care of the planet and a little culty, but, yeah. you know, so um, Toby was uh, an adult in the, the group and uh ren was one of the children and at the time when the book opens uh after the apocalypse after the flood um toby is surviving by herself in a day spa that she had been working at before the flood happened while ren is locked in a biocontainment unit at the sex club that she worked at okay yeah all right um and so over the course of the book we will um see how they their stories uh tie together and they also will have met people that we met in the first book okay so so that's really the thread that kind of binds the two stories together other than the obviously the world building and the kind of the apocalypse that yes that atwood is describing all together and it kind of lets you know at the end of the first book snowman saw some people Mm -hmm. you're gonna find out who those people are oh cool by the end of the book (laughs) tonally though um, it's very similar. Yeah. You know, a lot of the same themes are coming up, um, although she gets to focus more on the environmental effects, which is typically a very favorite yeah. theme for Margaret Atwood. Yeah. And obviously she gets a little bit into the religious as well, mm-hmm. which is another one of the themes that she comes back to very over often. and over again. Yeah. And I guess it just goes without saying, though, that, that post-apocalyptic literature right now is just such a huge thing. Anyway, and we've talked about this in in past podcasts, um, but she just does it so much better than other people. What what about the way she does it? It's particularly outstanding to you. Um, I think she finds the emotional threads to to pull the story together to make you want to keep reading. Um, and she has a very poetic way of the in in terms of how she writes. Anyway, there's like a really interesting rhythm to it, and she can make the characters all very separate whilst and, and distinctive while basically writing about them all in the same sort of style. Cool. And, and you know, the other thing about her stories are uh, sometimes you read stories and, and it's obviously that it's a jigsaw puzzle that the reader puts together. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes that's overdone. You know, you spend so much time trying to put the puzzle together that you can't really focus on the story. I think with Atwood, she really straddles that line nicely. She's telling you a disjointed story and coming to you from different, you know, times and, mm-hmm. and perspectives. Yeah, she feeds you just enough that 
you're you're able to keep up and and focus on what's happening. So in that sense, there is a lot of um, there's a lot of pieces as you go that connect up with both the two main characters in this book and then also the last book. So you'll it, it comes together that way and it comes together in a similar way. So if you liked Oryx and Craig, you would probably very much like this the next book. We talk about trilogies all the time and how that that middle piece can either be like the really really great piece because it 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 pulls everything together or how it can be the weakest link. How 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 do you feel about this one? I think in some in in some ways I enjoyed this one more. Mm-hmm. Um it spent a lot more time on the past so you got the experience more of these two women and what their life was like. And they were also in a lower class of society too. So you got like kind of the the opposite end of what you got exposed to in Oryx and Crake, where you got to see like the people that lived within the, cor- the corporations and worked mm-hmm. for the corporations, whereas these were women that lived in the plebe lands. Have you read the last one yet? Not yet. Are you planning to? Yes. Right on. And and do you know whether the last one is another shift like that, like where where we change class classes and no clue. I yeah. I kind of wanted to jump into it without knowing anything. Oh, cool. Yeah. All right. Well, that's the first day of Crystal. Yeah. So uh, we're back, bitches. What, that's right. What are we doing tomorrow? Uh, what are we doing tomorrow? Let's see. Tomorrow is um just one damn thing after another. Yes. By Jody Taylor. All right, and that's all we're going to tell you. So until tomorrow, that's right, tomorrow, 12 months with nothing, 12 days without any, 12 days without missing a day. That's what we're working for here. All right. Merry holidays. Happy Christmas. <laughs> and so from the Institute of Higher Thinking, that's it for this episode of Literally. Be sure and check us out at our webpage, literallyapodcast.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, where we are literally a podcast. Yeah, you can't get much more simple than that. On Twitter, we are at LAPC Twits. Over the next few months, we're going to be looking to grow and evolve literally. So if you'd like to be part of that on a volunteer basis, because we can't afford to pay anybody, um, let us know. Perhaps you'd like to be a contributor or help out maybe with some of the audio side of things. Uh, drop a line on our Facebook page where you can reach me at scott at literallyapodcast.com. 